You don't really need to know, or probably should. I'm Kira Revens, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. On today's episode, there were new laws on gene-edited food in England. Mammoth meatballs could soon be on the menu. And are you addicted to your phone? But first, it was on this day in 1877, the first Human Cannonball Act was performed by 14-year-old Rosa Matilda Richter at the Royal Aquarium in London. As of this week, gene-edited food can now be developed commercially in England following a change in the law. The UK is among the world leaders in research into plant genetics, but that expertise has not been able to take off because of the effective ban on the commercial development of the technology, according to its supporters. Now that is all set to change. Supporters of the technology hope it will speed up the development of hardier crops that will be needed because of climate change. And a group of scientists have already grown gene-edited wheat that will reduce the risk of cancer from burnt foods. In English countryside of Hertfordshire, crop scientists at Rothamsted Research have edited out a gene in which wheat that produces a compound called aspergin. It occurs in the plant naturally, but when fried, baked, toasted or burned, it turns into acrylamide, a carcinogenic compound. Professor Nigel Halford is a crop scientist who's been leading the work on the genetically edited plant. Here he is talking to Euronews. So what we're trying to do is reduce the amount of asparagine that's present in wheat grain That means there'll be less acrylamide forms in bread and less when the bread is toasted. And and things like breakfast cereals and snack products as well, biscuits, uh, pretty well all the cereal uh, products. Reducing the amount of asparagine in wheat grain could therefore mean less acrylamide in our foods and lower cancer risk in other cooked foods containing wheat. In order to do this, Halford and his team removed a tiny fragment of tissue from the grain using the CRISPR gene editing process and grew it in a petri dish. A gene gun was then used to fire DNA into the cells. This process removes genetic traits from DNA. This is a process which is different from genetically modified food. The public would think about a GM plant is a plant with a, an additional gene in it, maybe from a different species. Gene edited plants, once we've taken those aspects out, these plants have no additional genes in These are edited plants, no trans genes in, no genes from other species, no additional genes at all. It's not a GM plant. So far, the trials have seen a 50% reduction in aspergin and a 50% reduction in acrylamide in heated flour. Whilst commercial production of this week could soon begin in England, the Scottish, Welsh and Northern Irish governments are yet to permit the commercial use of gene editing. Critics of genetically altered foods such as Pat Thomas of Beyond GM are concerned that gene edited crops will not have to go through the extensive testing required of GM foods in the EU, which may result in the introduction of toxins and allergens into the food chain. The chief scientist advised for the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, Professor Gideon Henderson, however, is hopeful that the new rules will lead to better food production and bring jobs and investment to England. A climate panel in the UK has accused the British government of failing to prepare the country to cope with extreme weather. This comes on the back of the hottest British summer on record last year. The committee, which submits a report to the British Parliament every five years, say that the country has reached a make-or-break moment. According to a new assessment from the Climate Change Committee, not enough has been done to ensure the country is prepared for the future. Here's Chris Stark, CEO of the Climate Change Committee. There are key areas. So we're looking at, for example, the roads and infrastructure that the country has, buildings, buildings that we work and live in, Uh, key policies not in place to make sure that we're prepared for the hot temperatures, the, the fact that we have drought, the fact that we have wildfires, the fact that we have water shortages every year, 
fact that we're experiencing this intense heat. This is something now that's going to keep coming for this country. It's not something that goes away. The extreme weather that resulted in the death of almost 3,000 people across the country raised alarms on the state of preparations. In the report, the Climate Committee pointed out key areas that require action, including heat-proofing homes, stemming leaks from water supply pipes, preparations for flash floods and shortages of food. Criticism was also targeted at ineffectiveness of data collection by the government. Despite this, Sam Frankhauser, Professor of Climate Change Economics at Oxford, said that the nation is not really pushing for a technical technological breakthroughs. What the UK and the world needs now more than ever is concrete action. The adaptation side, it, this is much more a question of, of, of tested processes, tested technologies, tech, tested behavioural change. We know how to do flood protection. This is a matter of setting budgets aside and, and, and sort of uh, making those infrastructure investments happen. Uh, we have quite good understanding of our health resilience plan might look and how we can protect vulnerable people against overheating. We know how one does that. It's a matter of putting those processes and those structures in place. Still to come on the Sunday 7, innovative water solutions and the mammoth meatballs nobody asked for. Introducing innovative environmental solutions, a Dubai-based company has come up with new ways to tackle water scarcity in the UAE. Sustainable solutions company Degreshand has created permeable paving slabs made from desert sand that can retain rainwater. The collected water is then stored in underground honeycomb structures. The new urban model is being called a sponge city. The beauty about our storage, honeycomb storage, is that the water remains fresh for a very long period without use of electricity, without use of chemicals. And all the water which is collected, harvested and stored has to be used responsibly. That was CEO Chandra Drake demonstrating his company's creative vision. For every dollar invested in a sponge city, it has a return of four times. Within UAE, we are dependent on desalination as a water source. This will become a water source, new water source. These sponge cities rely on pavers made from a very special type of sand. This breathable sand, unlike the normal desert sand, when you pour in the water, it immediately disappears. Whereas this breathable sand holds the water just like a plastic glass. It can retain the water longer. By this retention, that it, we can create water bodies. And also when using it in the planting, it converts desert into an arable land. In its efforts to reach net zero emissions by 2050 and reduce its carbon footprint, the UAE has shown interest in the company's creation. Promising 80% water savings, the company said that the breathable sand technology can turn the Gulf country into a green forest. A giant meatball made from the flesh cultivated from an extinct woolly mammoth has been unveiled at Nemo, a science museum in the Netherlands. Vow, the company that made it, says that this is not an April Fool's joke and used 4,000-year-old mammoth genes to create this meaty monstrosity. This is Jamie Ryle, the company's chief scientific officer. We inserted the, um, uh, the gene from the mammoth into these sheep cells and then overexpressed that gene really, really highly. So all that means is that, um, that we could detect the amount of traditional um, sheep myoglobin inside the cells, and we could detect over a hundred times more mammoth myoglobin in those cells themselves. So a 
quite a significant portion of what you can see here in front of you today comes from mammoth. And for the bits that aren't mammoth, Vau used African elephant material to complete some of the gaps in the mammoth DNA. Now, if you've been waiting for a taste test review, we're sorry to disappoint. Vau says the ball must go through rigorous tests before they can try their creation. This is Tim Noakesmith, the founder of Vau. We won't eat the mammoth meatball right now. And it doesn't mean that it, you can't eat it, but because this protein is literally 4,000 years old, we haven't seen it for a very, very long time, uh, it means that we would want to put it through seriously rigorous testing like we do with any product that we want to bring to market. And for this purpose, we wanted to present it to the world faster and not necessarily bring it immediately to market. As for the question of why they've created this meatball, Vow says they want to get people talking about cultured meat. Unlike the gene-edited food we discussed at the top of today's episode, cultured meat as a food is not regulated in the EU and Vow wants to change that. There's two reasons why we chose a mammoth meatball. So the first one is that we wanted to... We wanted to get people talking. We wanted attention to something that is different from the meat that we eat now. Because with new technology, it means that the food that we can have doesn't have to replicate what we've had before. It can be more exciting. It can have better flavor profiles, more nutri better nutrition profiles. And so we wanted to create something that was totally different from anything you can get now. The second reason is that the mammoth has traditionally been a symbol of loss. Mammoths, we know now, were wiped out because of climate change. And we wanted to draw attention to a different future, something more exciting, something where we can eat our way out of extinction. Still to go on the Sunday 7, there's new proof for an ancient mathematical theory and researchers find an ultra-massive black hole. Right after this. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. Three. 
of two US high schoolers just found new proof for a 2,000-year-old mathematical theorem. The New Orleans high school students have stunned mathematicians after claiming they've proven Pythagoras' theorem by using trigonometry, something academics have long thought to be impossible. In GCSE maths, it's still a few years behind you. Pythagoras' theorem states that the sum of the squares of a right-angle triangle's two shorter sides equals the square of the hypotenuse, the third longest side opposite the shape's right angle. This theory has been used for millennia and generations of school children have learned the notation summarising the 2,000-year-old theorem as A2 plus B2 equals C2. Mathematicians have long argued the theorem, which uses trigonometry, the study of triangles, is impossible to prove since you can't use trigonometry without already accepting the theorem is correct. High school students Kelsia Johnson and Nikia Jackson have flipped the assumption on its head, revealing their discovery of a new proof of the theorem in exciting new findings. They say they can prove the theorem using trigonometry and without using circular reasoning when a person attempts to validate an idea with the idea itself. Ms Johnson told the New Orleans television news station WWL just how it felt to achieve this. It's an unparalleled feeling, honestly, because there's just nothing like it, being able to do something that people don't think that young people can do. The students recently gave a presentation of their findings to the American Mathematical Society Southeastern Chapter's semi-annual conference in Georgia and, unsurprisingly, were the only high school students in the room. You don't see kids like us doing this. It's usually like you have to be an adult to do this. Mrs. Johnson and Ms. Jackson are set to graduate from St. Mary's Academy this spring and plan to embark on careers in environmental engineering and biochemistry. Astronomers have discovered what could potentially be the largest black hole known to date. The giant black hole has a mass of 30 billion suns and sits at the centre of the galaxy hundreds of millions of light years from Earth. Researchers have called this cosmic giant an ultra-massive black hole. It was discovered using the gravity of the foreground galaxy to magnify the background object. The effect, known as gravitational learning, is a result of gravity bending light around extremely large objects. The technique is used by astronomers to help increase the magnification of objects too distant to be seen clearly by telescopes. Researchers from Durham University have said that this one is one of the biggest black holes ever detected and is so big that it's on the upper limit of how large they believe a black hole can theoretically become. Although it's enormous, the black hole is not very active, meaning it's not swallowing too much material and therefore not producing strong X-ray radiation. Normally, this would make it difficult to study a black hole, but gravitational lensing makes it possible. This approach could now allow researchers to detect many more black holes beyond our local universe and reveal how these objects evolve further back in our cosmic time. Are you addicted to your phone? Could you imagine leaving it at home when you run to the shops or even longer? If not, you may have nomophobia. So nomophobia is, it's a new word that's been coined to describe no mobile phobia. And it's the idea that a lot of us in thinking about not having our phones experience something like a phobia. And this is supposed to describe hundreds of millions of people today, and I'm sure that number is growing at the moment. This is Adam Alter, author of Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked. And while it seems like we are well and truly hooked. I ran a study at one point where I asked young people, a whole lot of teenagers, a very simple question. I said to them, imagine you have this very unpleasant choice. 
So you can either watch your phone tumble to the ground and shatter into a million pieces, or you can have a small bone in your hand broken. Now that seems to people of a certain age and older like a fairly straightforward question with a straightforward answer. It seems ridiculous. Of course, you choose to save the integrity of your hand and let your phone break, you can always replace a phone. But for young people, this is actually a very difficult question. In my experience, about 40 to 50% of them will say, ultimately, I think it probably makes more sense to have a bone in my hand broken than it does to have my phone broken. And you can understand why that is. Um, apart from the fact that it's expensive to have a phone repaired and there's some time where you're without your phone, that is their portal to a social world that is very important to them. Being without that social world for a while is probably not as detrimental in some respects as being without a particular bone in your hand. Most of the time you can get by and you can see this in the way they ask follow-up questions. So a lot of these teens will say to me things like, is it my left hand or my right hand? And the most important question, once I break that bone in my hand, can I still use my phone? Is it a bone that I need to be able to scroll on the phone? Because if it is, then that's no deal. But if it's not a bone that I need to use my screen, at least I can continue to use my phone during the time I'm healing. If people are willing to endure physical harm uh, to, to keep their phones, that obviously suggests that this is a major issue. It's such an issue that now some experts are describing this behavior as addiction. The definition that I like for behavioral addiction that makes the most sense to me is an experience that we return to compulsively over and over again because it feels good in the short run, but in the long run it ultimately undermines our well-being in some respect. So it can be someone who notices that over time their social relationships are degrading because they don't have a consistent face-to-face -face contact with people. And that's especially problematic for kids who need time in that real face-to-face -face social world because that's where they develop all the competencies of being a social creature the way to work out what other people are thinking, to share your feelings in a way that you want them to be shared, for other people to understand you, for you to make just the right facial expressions at just the right times. Those seem like obvious and easy to do things for most adults, but for kids it's very difficult to do that, and they take time to hone those skills, and so you need face-to-face -face time to do that. Now if you don't have that, if you're spending all your time on screens because it's really fun to have to crush one more candy on Candy Crush or do whatever it is that you might be doing, you're not developing those long-term competencies and therefore your long-term well-being is degraded. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced and published by Dan Doris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.